With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your one-stop Fulham FC audio experience. And once again, it's a triumphant mood in the studio as Fulham slayed the runaway leaders, Wolverhampton Wanderers at the Cottage with a comprehensive 2-0 victory. Uh, and to match the fire on the pitch, I've cranked up the heat on the guest front despite the cold weather outside. First up is Ben Jarman. Good evening, Sammy. Secretary Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And making his debut, Frankie Taylor. How you doing? Hello, all. Not bad. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good to have you on the podcast, finally. It's been a, a long, long months of negotiation. You're on loan from Hammy End. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, I think Fulhamish needs me as much as I need Fulhamish. <laughs> <laughs> well, in tonight's episode... With our new signing, we're going to be looking back at Saturday in detail, assessing how the promotion race is shaping up after the weekend and answering a stack of your questions as well. The mailbag is bulging today, but first need to do some three-word reviews. As ever, Jack is on the buttons. Yeah, no, there's lots, and they're all actually quite good, which makes a change. Well done, everyone. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Backhand it was, um, no, no, they are actually really good. Lord Craven's statement of intent and Fulham are coming. I thought, I thought we were both quite clever. Um Richard Moore said, "Dreaming automatic promotion." Um, th- that's a common theme. Lawrence Craven living a dream. Um, Granny Lovekin, who has become a, a bit of a cult hero on this podcast, maybe best yet. Um, Charlie Boy, wolves left wondering, and Luke Harvey's Labradors, not wolves. To finish with, I thought Chris Matchy probably summed it up best. Hell, hell, yes. Well, it was an incredible, incredible evening. Uh, speaking of dream, can things only get better? <laughs> That's unbelievable. I was um, very well done. I was mid sip of tea there, but that that's excellent. I'm, uh, well I'm, I'm a big fan. Well done, Sam. Just to say, this season Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions. You can head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. So as I mentioned, an outstanding two 0 victory over the champions elect Wolverhampton Wanderers at Craven Cottage, making it twelve undefeated and eight home victories on the spin. Seven points from three tough fixtures. Ben, is it time to start getting carried away? Well, I think in short, yes, but with some sort of measure. I think um, if we look at the target, it shouldn't be to catch Cardiff right now because they're nine points ahead of us and they could easily pick up more points with their coming fixtures. But what we have to be careful of is not to let anything slip here. And as, as Stephen Gerrard said, um, I think I think we just need to carry on as we are. I think we've got some very tough pitches coming up. Uh, Sheffield United, Preston North End leads to name but a few. Um, we've got Sheffield United in, in the coming weeks and they're still in a good vein, vein of form. All of these are really capable teams and they're capable of taking points off us as well as causing us a lot of problems. So in my opinion, we shouldn't get too comfortable as much as this win has elevated everyone to cloud nine. I do think we'll we'll make at least the playoffs and I do think we, we're now more poised to go up than we ever were before. Frankie, it was an exceptional evening at the cottage and Wolves arrived and you could tell that they had quality from the first whistle. They looked like a very, very professional outfit but Fulham just 
outplayed them over the 90 minutes. Yeah, you could tell it was going to be a game between the two sides that probably possessed most quality in their squad. So whether it was the most entertaining game for a neutral, which I think it was a pretty good game, it was yeah. back and forth. Uh, Wolves were playing long balls in behind the defence. It was open. Um, so both sides did possess a lot and lot of quality. It was just interesting to see how Djokanovic got it right on Saturday. Just everything, everything came together for perhaps the first time this season where the defence was imperious. I mean, Tim Ream's popping up in the three-word reviews because he was sensational. It might be the best I've seen him play. I thought Frederick's put in his best mm. defensive performance. Um, just everything came together. And it was just that moment that you think uh, that made you think. Despite that, though, it was quite a cagey start from Fulham. In fact, both sides, very similar to the Villa game, Jack, just kind of wanted to cancel each other out, were nervous to make a mistake. But building on that Tim Ream point, he was imperious from the first whistle. Magical. Um, it, you know, that's that's probably his best best game in a Fulham shirt. And we know how devastating Wolves' front three were. And they were always going to create chances. And, you know, it's not to say that they didn't have their moments. Wolves looked, you know, lightning quick on the break. Uh, and in possession, you know, they, they possess a, a massive amount of quality. And even without Nevers, you could you could sense that. And, you know, their, their two fullbacks know exactly what they're doing in that kind of overlapping system. Uh, and they, they, you know, when they had the ball, they looked dangerous. And it was just a case of two very good sides, as we did in the, in the first half from the Fulhamish account, saying this is just two very good sides going at each other. There's no... You know, there's no tactics here in terms of... That's the wrong word. It's, there's no <laughs> ulterior motives here. There's no Lee Johnson going, oh, Fulham are a, a better side than us, so we're going to hit them hit them in the air, which is fine. As in, we spoke about this at length last week. You know, that's that's fine. It's not a problem to do that. If you have to try and... You know, part of being a manager is trying to outwit your opposition number and trying to do that. But this was a pure game of football, right, you know, right down to the, the kind of the way that both teams set out, the way they played. And, you know, the Fulham and Wolves don't play in exactly the same way, but that made it even more of a team contest. And in kind of hindsight, we'll look back at that game and you could watch that over and over again and enjoy it over and over again. Well, yeah, from a footballing point of view, surely there's not going to be a better match in the championship this season. You'd imagine not. Fulham, not Fulham, Fulham, maybe not Fulham from a Brentford, you know. You know, we don't ever give them, you know, I don't like giving them credit as much as you don't and as much as anyone doesn't, but Fulham Brentford has the potential in, in you know, in April to be another game of, of pure mm. footballing quality. Yeah, I think Wolves are by far the, the, clearly the best coach team in the league and probably have the best, most balanced squad there in terms of having the solidity at the back and then having the flair going forward. I think Wolves are by, by far and away the best squad and the best team in the league and obviously it shows in terms of results and the win that we got over the, over the weekend is so impressive. But I think, but I thought Saturday showed that I'm not sure they are clearly the best team because I just don't think Fulham are that far behind them. I know they were missing Nevers and Hotter had a knock and could only come on as a sub, but still, we were we matched them toe for toe, player for player. Yeah, we did. And if we had started the 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 year much better than we actually did, then we could be well up there. If we had the form that we've got in the last six to eight weeks, if we'd started like that, we'd be up there with them, going at it toe-to-toe every single week. We wouldn't be, you know, X amount of points behind them that we are. That's just my opinion. I think, as Frankie said, it's only just started coming together for us in the last six weeks. Well, I know, it's, it's going to be a huge case of what if, and if Fulham don't get to the Premier League this season, in whatever sense, either it's missing out through the playoffs or just missing out on automatic promotion, where there will be a lot of questions at the end of the season just going back, oh, if only our start had been this good. Exactly. Because we all knew this kind of form 
was capable at the beginning of the season, Frankie. Yeah, so I mean, you take into account that Tom Kearney's not been here all year. and But the difference between this year and last year where we really did surge up the table is we've still been in touch with the promotion places pretty much uh, since maybe four or five months ago um, that Tom Kearney's, we've not had him all year and he's now getting to playing games. He seems fit. He, uh, even though he came off early and in the second half he maybe waned a bit, which is expected mm-hmm. coming back from a long-term injury. Wolves have been, I can't recall them having a real serious injury. They've not been hurt. Um, so we are, um, I found it interesting that um, it was plan A versus plan A on Saturday. There was no tactics uh, in, we're going to stop Fulham by doing this. It was, this is our team and this is going to play against us. And I think more often than not, and it's a credit to Slavica and how he's, uh, how he's built this team, is that whenever teams do just come and play at us, we usually, come, we usually win. We usually win. It happened at Newcastle mm. uh, last season. It happened when we played Reading. It happened when we played Huddersfield at home and away. I do think um, I do think we need to get better at when it comes to games like Bolton when they try and get us out of their stride. But it is um, really coming together and I am looking at second. Even though the points is a little bit of a gap too high for me, I'm looking at second and I really hope our team just keeps on chasing. Well, Fulham's opener came after great work from Mitrovic, given that yard of space by Connor Cody, and he, and he made Wolves pay. Of course, it's Ryan Sessignon there with the tap-in. I quite liked on Football on Five uh, this Saturday that Colin Murray tried to do an entire analysis without saying the word Ryan Sessignon because he said he might get a restraining <laughs> order the amount of times they've had to speak about uh, young Ryan this season. But that goal really comes from brilliant forward play from Mitrovic. Yeah, of course. And, you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said for lots of, lots of things in the build-up to that goal, I think. And one of them is that Steph is initially very wasteful in, with, with a good position and tries to do too much and then immediately learns from his mistake, wins the ball back, you know, with a slight, a slight touch of fortune, but wins the ball back and plays an inch-perfect pass for Mitrovic. And it's that kind of, you know, dynamism and kind of uh, want and want and desire to, to win the ball back in the midfield and, and really put in that shift that, that we've been missing, I suppose, from Steph this year. Uh, and his pass was inch-perfect, and the shot from Mitrovic is excellent. Uh, there, was, there was talk of, you know, John Ruddy not, not doing enough there, I don't know how much more he can do. It's an unbelievable snapshot on the spin. It's going, you know, right into the corner, and, and Ruddy tries to push it away as best he can. The issue is that Ryan Sessegnon is lightning, and he's far quicker than Bennett, who's who's tracking him back, and he just sticks it away. And you know, I don't think we can say any more about how good Ryan Sessegnon is at being in the right place at the right time. It, it's just amazing. And someone someone put up a graphic on Twitter today, and I'm really sorry. I'm not going to credit it properly, but. Um, but as an apology, um, the saying they weren't sure if Ryan Sessegnon's goal map was his or Pippo Inzaghi's, and yeah. it's just fantastic. It's just so true in terms of that kind of ability to just pinch goals in the box has become, you know, second nature to Ryan, and and it's an unbelievable skill to have at such a young age. I think um, on that point about Sessegnon, someone put up a, an article. I'm not going to credit them properly either, but someone put up an article saying that we shouldn't actually be comparing Ryan Sessegnon to Gareth Bale. We should be um, comparing him to Thomas Muller because they have basically have the same nous in the box of understanding where a ball's going to fall or where they need to be positionally to make the most of that chance. And Thomas Muller, as Raphael Honigstein sort of highlights in his book um, about called Das Reboot, which is about the rebirth of German football, Thomas Muller isn't the most athletic person. He's not the strongest. He's not the quickest. He's technically not the best either, but he knows how to score a goal. And he knows where to be and he can understand a possession of uh, a passage of play and 
the situations he needs to needs to put himself in. And I think while Sessegnon is very a great technical player and he's very quick, again he's not the strongest, but he understands where to be. In the wider context of of Mitrovic, I think throughout the game Wolves gave him space twice, and the, the both times they gave him that extra yard. Well, one, Sessegnon gets a goal and then secondly, he goes on the wonderful run and scores himself. So it underlines the quality of someone that not too long ago was playing in the Champions League and scoring against Arsenal for Anderlecht and then scoring 10 goals at 21 years old, 21 years of age, sorry, for Newcastle. Well, let's come on to that goal, Frankie, that second goal, because Wolves started the second half quite strongly, I thought, actually. And whilst they didn't cut out any clear chances for me, I just thought they really came out obviously with a big team talk from Nuno but Fulham managed to weather the storm and then the storm arrived at their door with uh, Mitrovic a lovely lovely goal just gives gives Connor Cody again the dummy and then finds that yard for a shot and then it's lethal into the bottom corner uh, absolutely at 1-0 you knew um, you knew Wolves had Yotta that they could bring on the bench they had Benicophobia as well so at 1-0 that game was not over you always knew Wolves had an opportunity to come into it the timing was perfect it seemed just as Wolves were were starting to come up into a bit of steam it was a lovely ball into him I think it was Stefan Johansson played it into Mitrovic's feet and you sit there and you think this is it was like prime Bobby Zamora I think someone else did tweet that at the weekend as well the way he held it up and then he rolled the ball. Connor Cody, all he had to do was buy, it, buy himself an inch and he bought that off of Connor Cody and fired it home. It was a wonderful goal. And it was a um, target man, striker, that I haven't seen since, since Bobby Zamora was here. I mean, Fonts and Kamara were both coming into form uh, over Christmas and then through January, but they're going to struggle to oust him from the team now because just Mitrovic just seems to be a notch above both of them at the moment. Uh, more than one, I think. <laughs> you can tell that this is a Premier League striker who's obviously played in there for a couple of seasons and as I said previously has played in the Champions League and scored against some very good teams with an Anderlecht team who at the time weren't particularly good I think his qualities underlined and as as Frankie alluded to in his introduction he needs Fulham as much as we need him and we're seeing the best out of a very good striker here especially at the level we need him to be at. I think once he gets fitter, and this is his first 90 minutes, and I think it's just under 18 months, this will, you know, it's probably the best thing we'll, that could have happened to well, him. Well, he said that in an interview today about how he believes he can play in the Champions League again. So yeah. the confidence is sky high. Yeah, well, I think, he, he, you know, it should be. And there was, there's... You know, there was there was talk of the finish, and we you know post about it saying it's the kind of goal you can watch again and again and again, and it really is that kind of nous to hit so early on the you know again on kind of a half turn and find that bottom corner is is genuinely top draw, and you look to you know the kind of players that do that on a regular basis, and they are playing top end football, and and if he has the capacity to do that at any level, then there's no reason why he shouldn't be. I think. You know, you, you think about that goal and he, he backs off so well and he backs into the defender and then he has the kind of, you know, awareness and turn of pace to get through the gap and then to hold off again. And it's all those kind of things that at once that he has that, that, that really can change a game. And he looks like the kind of player that Fulham, like, needed in terms of how he holds the ball up. He's like Chris Martin with pace. Uh, you know, and and a far better and a and far better calibre, a far better calibre of player. But like you know, but, but the, the truth is that Fulham played their best football last season when Chris Martin was playing, and 
because he he you know that kind of striker who has the physical presence to hold the ball up and look around with the kind of players like Kearney around him with you know with Cessignon's kind of ability and spark on the left wing and the kind of pace that we can possess you know down the right as well with Fredericks and and whoever's playing in front of him it, it means that that striker has so much kind of space and time and he'll get chances and someone of Mitrovic's caliber is going to is going to put those chances away and. I think that we will see more and more goals from Alexander Mitrovic as this season progresses. Uh, Fulham had a huge shout for a handball just moments before uh, Mitrovic's goal. Obviously, I was at the game, but I've only seen the short highlights. and The instant just didn't even make the um, sky, even the longer sky highlights. But it was amazing that neither the ref or Lino spotted not just one, but, but two handballs. I think the first one would have been harsh. It came at him at, at real pace, mm. but the second one, there's no excuse for. Like you know, if if they're already calling for one and it goes again, that's the kind of decision that you really, really hope. You know, the linesman's defence is on the other side, mm. but you you do, you know, want those decisions to to be called. And I think the referee actually had a particularly good game. And I think that if Mitrovic hadn't scored and this had ended one all, we'd have been complaining more about it. But you know, in 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 that kind of respect, I suppose it's kind of slid under the radar in that. The referee, on in general, played played a very good game and and let the game flow and let two teams, you know, really go at each other and and ultimately it hasn't cost us, so it's no. not going to be not going to be something that anyone's I think too worried about. But yeah, I think it, I think it probably is a penalty. Uh, we've been getting you guys to do your player ratings on the Fulhamish website after each game. Really enjoying uh, having that on the website. It's just a nice way to get some stats in the gut, what you think, and just makes the the whole experience a bit more interactive. So um, Tim Ream was voted man of the match by the Fulhamish list with an average score of 9.3 out of 10. And we've only been doing it a few weeks, but 9.3 is way above what any player has achieved this season. And, and Alexander Mitrovic is only just behind, on, on, I think it was 9.1 out of 10. Is Ream a worthy man of the match for you? In a word, yes. Um, I think we often highlight how good he is at bringing the ball out of the back and starting um, attacks. But I think this week it was all about a defensive masterclass from him. His anticipation for one and his athleticism as a second point um, was something we don't often get to see because he's more often than not playing off the front foot. But this weekend, I thought he was absolutely exceptional. Um, as, as Frankie said, probably the best performance we've ever had off him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was between him and Fredericks for my man of the match. And I did edge Bream when it came to the vote on the, uh, on the Fulham website as well. Uh, he was just... He was just brilliant. I mean, I've not never been his biggest fan. I see his, I see his flaws, and I think, oh, he, yeah, he can pass the ball a little bit, but then he, he can get um, he can get overthrown sometimes. But the last the last few months, he's just been he's just been magnificent. I can't I can't say I've got no I can't it's weird I can't put it into words how good he has been because. Uh, and I was surprised when I get home. I'm a bit of a geek. I like to look at all the stats, see how many tackles someone made, passing percentage. He only made two tackles and interceptions, and I thought that cannot be right because he just seemed to be everywhere. He just seemed to thwart really? everything that Wolves. Uh, well, this is from who scored, so other stats sites may uh, change, uh, may have different numbers. Well, he wasn't but, in their team of the week. Well, yeah, exactly. When you, um, I think they had Matt Target as Matt, their man of the match as well, which, I mean, he played well as well, but it was never man of the match. Um, but you just sit there and all you needed to do is, if even if you didn't watch the game, I'm sure the cameras did pick it up and the microphones. Every time you heard Ream after he'd done something great, it was definitely more than two tackles and two interceptions. He was just maybe the best centre-back performance I've seen in years. I think that's where some stats can be quite 
well, misleading, misleading because you don't have to be a, you don't have to rely on tackles and, and clearances to be a magnificent defender. And I think that's where his anticipation comes in. And it's something that Maldini's nowhere, Reem's nowhere near Maldini, but it's something that he used to talk about with Maldini as well. He never really made a huge amount of tackles, and it was his anticipation and understanding of a striker that actually put him head and shoulders above everyone else. Obviously. Not saying that's Tim Ream by any stretch of the imagination. But. It just looked like nothing was getting past him on Saturday. And I think it was typified, really, when Hotter missed that chance in the end. It felt written in the stars that it was going to be Fulham's day. And I was just so glad that Tim Ream capped off that performance with a clean sheet. And, yeah. and to be honest, he saved a certain goal by tackling a phobie so well. Yeah, uh, to bring someone's quality of a phobie off the bench... But he gets back so well. And as we said in the first two points, it's his anticipation. And then afterwards, the athleticism to keep up with someone as quick and as as strong as a phobe is, is remarkable, in my opinion, at least. Um, Jack, I'm coming to you first with this question. Is this Slav's biggest result to date? Now, obviously, there were some great games last year. Uh, Newcastle, Huddersfield both stand out. And even Villa a week ago. There have been, uh, there's been some big wins for Slav in his time. But I just felt that like yesterday was the... Com- Sorry, not yesterday. Saturday was the complete display. And I think it has the potential to top both those aforementioned games. I think there's lots of things in play here. I think that that's the best performance I've seen a Fulham side have under Slavica Jukanovic. Uh, it was controlled, it was you know, compact when it needed to be, expansive when it needed to be. Tactically, we were reasonably spot on. Um, you know, we, we, you know we, like we said earlier, Wolves were always going to create chances, but I thought on the whole we marshaled them brilliantly. Um, and, and I think that overall, the kind of quality of football in possession, you'd think that Fulham were the, the team you know, storming its head at the, at the top of the championship. And I think that that says a lot about it in itself. I think more... You know, more than, say, Newcastle away last year where we actually didn't have, you know, the control of the game for for some of it. And it wasn't like a complete, you know, we obviously were brilliant at at times, but it wasn't a complete performance in terms of there was obviously no clean sheet. We were under the cosh for parts of it. I didn't really feel like we were under the cosh for like, for you know, extended periods of time at any point during the game. I thought that we were imperious in midfield. I thought, as we said, probably the best uh, centre-back performance that we've seen in years from Tim Ream and, and overall brilliant. But that said, is it the most important result that Slav's had in, in? Probably not, no. As in, you know, the the performances that secured the playoffs last season were probably more important in hindsight. But in terms of going forward, if we then go and, and, and do it this year, we spoke about this, about Tom Kearney's goal against Leeds last year, where we said that it was an amazing goal, but it wouldn't have mattered if Fulham didn't go on and make the playoffs because it would have really kind of all been for nothing. But, Having done that, that goal will go down again and be, you know, one of those magical Fulham goals. And it's like that. If, if Fulham go on this year and and, and make the make the playoffs and, and and get promoted, then this game will go down as a real, real like big win for Slavija Kanovic potentially. And and that I think would make it his biggest ever. I definitely feel great about that Newcastle away win. It was just one of those that thought, well, we've gone into Newcastle and we've just absolutely demolished them. And it's easy to forget that Tim Ream missed the penalty in the last minute to make it four one. But I thought it was it was maybe our most uh, most complete in the, as I said earlier, the defence played well, the midfield controlled the tempo and possession when it needed to. Um, Mitrovic held everything together. I don't know if it's the if it's his best win, um, or as Jack says, his most important one. It may be his best if you take into account the uh, the quality of opposition. It's maybe the best team we will play in the championship, even without Ruben Neves. 
Um, it's definitely up there, but I think I'd have to do some looking in and taking into account a number of different aspects to have the, to name it number one. Uh, ben, what would you say regarding, is it his... I think my more main point was, was it his biggest performance, not necessarily biggest results? In that case, I think it's probably one of the most impressive wins over the most talented and balanced squad in the league right now. And I think we strangled them to the point where they didn't even look like they were going to get a goal until the final throws of the game. I think tactically and the way we set up and the appetite we had to win the ball back in all all three thirds of the pitch was exemplary. And I think that's something we haven't seen from a Slavisa team from, well, I, I would say ever before. Although those performances, especially against Huddersfield last year when we were just devastating, were, were amazing. I really don't think that it... it like I really don't think that they compare to this one because I thought we were we were good in all areas of the pitch and I think we had a, a tactical ideal here and we executed it perfectly against, as I said, one of the most exciting, balanced, well-coached teams that can definitely destroy you in a number of passes and and quickly as well. I think I don't I don't think I've ever seen a team in the championship for for a while now that can can devastate you as quickly as Wolves did, and I've also never seen a team of Wolves' calibre ever dominate a team like they did oh, to us at Molyneux. We, we didn't even look like we were even going to get out of our own half that game. So to to now dominate them in that fashion, um, I think that's probably Slavisa's biggest tactical performance ever. I'm not sure if it's his biggest win, though. I think that's a uh, fair summation of affairs. Right, well, in a moment after the break, we're going to be looking at the race for promotion, uh, taking a look at some of the results uh, from around the uh, promotion contenders and also answering all your questions. That's in a moment. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Ben Jarman. Hello, listeners. And still on his debut, Frankie Taylor. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Look at uh, that. Look at that catching on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like fire. You'll all be saying it like robots soon. So on this week's Fulhamish Extra, we're going to be previewing the Derby game, which is upcoming on Saturday. Another big promotion, six-pointer. We're also going to be chatting to Jack and Loz, who you may know they've taken over the Fulham blogosphere uh, as they definitely used to call it back in the early north. By, by storm, some would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, on a Sunday, there are many, many people uh, waiting for Jack and Loz's blog to drop. I spoke to them before the Villa game, so you can hear what happened when I caught up with them in the Hammersmith pret a It was a very glamorous uh, place to to do an interview. That's, and they the, were, most, that's the most Fulham interview of know, all time all ever. Time. Uh, they were absolutely lovely, though, so make sure you check that out. I'm also going to be doing an FA Youth Cup quarterfinal review, which is tomorrow night. Make sure you can get down there if you can. I think it's five past seven kickoff at the cottage, and it's, it it's four quid for adults. It's absolutely nothing. Uh, so loads coming up on Fulhamish Extra, which will be dropping into your pod stores uh, kind of Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. Uh, just to say that on Saturday, I had so many people... Uh, come up to me and give me nice words about Fulhamish. It just seems a bit... Extra- I wasn't there. Yeah, it seems a bit extraordinary uh, how many people uh, were giving Fulhamish praise and say how much they loved it and they listened abroad or they listened here and it was so nice, uh, really, to, to meet all of you. And, um, well, for the next few weeks, uh, it's going to be a bit of a difficult few weeks for Fulhamish. I'm moving jobs, so we normally record this at my work. So I work for KISS and... This is the last time uh, that we're going to be able to record in the studios that they let us record in for free. It's very nice of them. They know we do it, and it's very good of them that they don't really kick up a fuss that I, we record the podcasts here. But um, I'm moving, and, well, I haven't asked if I'm allowed to come back and record podcasts, but I'm assuming not. No. 
Um, so I'm moving to another radio station and they do know that I do Fulhamish and that I want to record the podcasts there, but it's a brand new radio station that's being set up. The studios aren't quite in place yet. So for the next couple of weeks, we're struggling a little bit to find studios that we can go record this in. We've got a kind of portable microphone and Jack's going to probably do a few podcasts at his office and stuff. But we just might not have the time to get Fulhamish to that standard that we really like it to every week. And especially now we're trying to do the extra podcasts. It's it's a lot of work, but we absolutely love doing it. It's just sometimes it's very time consuming and just the next couple of weeks might be difficult. And I know that it's part of your routine to listen to this podcast. So all I'm saying is little advance warning. Bear with us. Yeah, Fulhamish might not be quite to the standard for the next couple of weeks. I hope it is, and hopefully you won't notice any different. But uh, just a little bit of housekeeping uh, before we move on to some more important topics at heart, which are the race for promotion. So it was quite a good weekend for Fulham, really. Uh, Generally, uh, Derby, Borough, Bristol City, all dropping points. Uh, and a few of them late on as well. The uh, Derby and Borough uh, in particular. Still eight points, though, between ourselves uh, and Cardiff. Villa also got a late win. Uh, Coral Hurridan with a lovely goal uh, against Sheffield yep. Wednesday to win it. Shock. Uh, let's, let's go on to Dar- uh, Cardiff first, who, who are in danger a little bit of running away with second place. That's a big win for them against Bristol City. Yeah, it was late as well. Another one that they um, they struck late. 82nd minute, I think, Kenneth Zahor, uh, in what has been shown as a battle of attrition. Um, I think my favourite quote from it came on Lee Johnson, who said, I got in for free and I still want my money back, um, which is which was excellent. And uh, I thought that probably summed up, you know what, when we, we played Bristol, I was expecting football, I wasn't expecting to play football against Cardiff, and by all accounts, they didn't. Um, and Cardiff don't play football. So, you know, but they're winning. They're winning games. They have that kind of final third, you know, power and pace that, that gives them the edge, you know, against against teams. And they seem to be clinical under Warnock. And, you know, it it, it hurts me to say it, but, he you know, he's doing quite a good job with what he's got there. And it's not football that I, you know, particularly like. And it's not, but, you know, they're winning. And I'm sure that if you ask any Cardiff fan whether they'd be back in last season... And you know, not winning games and and trying to play better football, I think they'd probably tell you no. So, you know, the fair play to him. I mean, it's not it's not my cup of tea, but it's it's obviously paying dividends. Um, Frankie, is eight points, twelve games left, an insurmountable task? Um, I looked at the fixtures. I think on Sunday, and there's a tweet on my account. I put a table up of who everyone in second to fifth. Which is give it a plug. Uh, it's at FP Taylor Media. We'll give you a we'll um, give you a retweet. It's it's in there somewhere. It's a table of fixtures for teams from second to us in fifth now that there's a bit of a gap between us and Bristol City. Mm. Um, I think they've got to play. Derby's the only team in the top ten that they have to play in the next six, but they do still have to play. I think it's Aston Villa and Derby. Whereas after, one, one They do have to definitely play Wolves. I only know that because I saw it got moved for telly today. <clears throat> yes, yeah. that may be it. I'm not remembering it off the top of my head. Jack will retweet it on. But basically, the they have they got do. some tough play, fixtures. They've got to play Wolves and Villa. They've got they've got four. They got Brentford next, and then they have got f- two fixtures they should win in Barnsley and Birmingham, both at home. Then they got Derby away. And then they got Burton Albion and Sheffield United. But then they also have Wolves and Aston Villa. Look, there's games there where they could drop points. There's also games that they might not drop points. You know, like like, like we said there a minute ago. You know that was a that was a, a potential banana skin against against Bristol City, and they they haven't dropped points, and they've 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 come through again. So it's one of those, isn't it? But yeah, Frankie's right. They have they there still are tough games for Cardiff to play. While we're talking about the promotion rivals, um, 
it's worth looking at that picture because I think after we play Preston in two or three games' time, we do not play another team that's currently in the top 10, whereas everyone else has to play everyone else, whether it's Middlesbrough um, or Aston Villa or it's Derby. All the specifics are on that picture that I did tweet up. Uh, so it's definitely worth looking at because it's... Uh, it's really going to be interesting to see because someone's got to drop points in these games and hopefully it works out in our favour. And also, We've not hit too, a retweet now, so you can look at it on our account. At Fulhamish Pod. There's not too many games, even in that running that you mentioned, against relegation-threatened sides either. We've actually played most of those now for the second time. I think Birmingham maybe on the final day of the season, who maybe by that point might be out of it, although they've had, gone on a bit of a landslide. Uh, in the last few games. But yeah, as you say, there's a lot of football left to be playing. What, what do we think about um, Derby and Villa's chances? Especially Derby have been on quite a poor run of form in 2018. They've only got two wins so far in 2018, yeah. uh, according to a tweet I saw the other day. But they, uh, as with Wolves, they're a really well-coached side and I don't think you've ever beat a Gary Rowett side um, unless my memory no, I think has, right. has gone. And I'm always quite wary against coming up against someone like with Derby's qualities they've got you know, players like Vidra even even then although they're getting older it's Huddleston and Johnson they're, they're all yeah and Vyman they're all they're all dangerous players and I I don't particularly like playing against them whatsoever and they've got Cameron Jerome up front now as well who seems to occasionally like scoring against us so I'm, I'm quite wary of them I think Villa are on a really good run at the moment um, although I they're kind of relying on Snodgrass a little bit Mm. Um, I think he's he's their version of, of Mitrovic in the fact that he's quite clearly a Premier League player playing in the Championship and yeah. is, is a notch above like the other players they have. But I, I do think they'll be in the mix with us and Cardiff um, for that second spot. And what about the um, the playoff gap, as in below us, is starting to open up a little bit. Uh, and we were saying last Monday how let's not get too carried away with looking up because we need to look over our shoulders but a few results have gone our way and there is now a little bit of breathing space especially with Borough dropping points Brentford Brentford got beat against Leeds and Bristol have been dropping points as well so there is a little bit more of a buffer now so we can breathe a tiny bit easier but obviously you can never rest on your laurels no definitely not I think Bristol City could although they've got a small squad and they do look quite stretched they could pick it up again like Mm. we did um, at certain points last season I have to say that last last week we referred to Bristol Bristol City as Bristol, and apparently you can't do that. Oh right. So apologies for we Bristol City fans out there. What can't you do? Refer to Bristol City as just Bristol. Yeah, no, they don't like that because there's two no. teams in Bristol, even we, though one basically is irrelevant. There's an article on our website about, <laughs> and I imagine the other team in Bristol <laughs> won't like that. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> Uh, there's an article on our website about the race for second, um, done which was done by Cam Ramsey, and he was joined by Nick, our resident stats guru, mm. um, to 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 come together to write a thing about the the different you know the different run-ins that people have and, and the kind of the way that they play compared to the styles of the other team. So it's very much worth a read if you've uh, if you've got a 15 minutes spare. So it's a fairly lot. It's a fairly hefty read, but it's um, it will give you a lot of information regarding the the, the run-in. Hashtag long form tent. Long form tent, yeah. Um, Jack, let's do the post bag. What's coming in? Right, let's start with a question from AF, our, um, one of our own, as they say. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he says. Off to Mexico on Wednesday. He is indeed. Have a good trip, mate. He says the double loan signing of Mitrovic and Matt Target have given Fulham a real lift to their promotion charge. Have we ever signed two more impactful tra- players within a January transfer window? Sam, I'm going to start with you. Vincenzo Montella. Two, though, I think, was the. Uh, oh, <laughs> 
thought I'd come up with an absolute gem. You have. There. It's a good answer, but I think the thing is, like having two at, at once is basically the trick. There's obviously been players in in Manny or Ron which have helped us, mm. um, but this I think is is. is Two who are obviously very, very useful, very quickly. I think. I think when it comes to January transfers in Fulham, I think the only time you can ever hark back to is um, Great Escape. Uh, even obviously, Breda Hanglin was the star attraction, but even a few players like Leon Andreasen um, really added bits to our squad and added a bit of depth uh, to it. Was Casey Keller signed in January? I'm just having a look. I'm not sure. He was definitely signed partway through the season. I just don't know if it was January. Hangland, Andreasen, Eddie Johnson, Tony Callio, the bone crusher, and Jari <laughs> Littman in, and Paul Staltieri. There you are. There was a useful player. Paul Staltieri was about to bring up. Oh, he he, he and Hangland helped, helped that back four so much. And we all know Roy Hodgson now. He's built from the back four. It's built from the back four up. And Staltieri was nothing, nothing sexy, nothing exciting, but he got the job done every week. Yeah, 100%. Our third favourite Canadian on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that would be my answer for impactful January signings. Definitely not in the last few seasons, apart from Michael Mardle maybe made a bit of an impact. Yeah, that's a good shout as well. Ben? But what about your boy Syriac? The Sizzler. Who's a fantastic signing. I don't think I can top Hangeland or Stolteri. No. No, I think that's probably fair. This is a good question. This is from Matt Matthew Kalmanson, who sent an email to us. So thank you for this, Matt. He says... Hi chaps, love the show. Question we were discussing at the game. Would this current Fulham team beat last year's team, as in like the team in the second half of, of last season? Um I think it would, yeah. I think they're in the left back position we've got much better. We've got a a, pers- a, a fullback that knows how to or when to get forward and he knows when to defend. We have someone um, there that understands the tactical now of having to play at wing back um, and clearly has a lot of quality and has already formed a really close relationship with Sessegnon obviously we have uh, Sessegnon who's a year older and a year wiser and a year better um, Mitrovic is a much better striker than Chris Martin I think it would I think we would cause last year's team a lot of issues it's the only issue that last season I think had a much more potent Tom Kearney that's true. That's very, very true. But at the same Especially time... Especially this time of the year when he was absolutely flying. Yeah, that's true. But Callas and Re- or Reem in particular looks much mm. more assured this year than he did last year. Callas, on the other hand, not so much. He got drawn out a lot against Wolves. I noticed that in, on the, uh, when we were watching the match is that he, he was often found quite out of position. But yeah, I think we'd, I think this year's team would beat last year's. Yeah, I think pretty much the same reasons. I mean, you're you're going Chris Martin against Tim Ream and Kalas or Alexander Mitrovic against Kalas and Tim Ream and which striker would you fancy against our centre-backs? And I'd pick Mitrovic every single time. Um, only thing maybe it's lacking this year is the presence of an Aluko to run directly at people, but at least Sessegnon can get the ball in the net. Last year's team had Scott Malone, so I think it's an easy win for last year. <laughs> We miss Malone. Bring back Malone. Bring back Malone. I do get jealous every time I watch Huddersfield and the Scotty Malone songs going. <laughs> I wish I could sing that song again. Um, let's go quickly onwards to Samuel Hillier's question. He says, if we don't end up getting second, would you be happy with any place in the playoffs or would you be really interested in having the second leg at home? I think it's an interesting one considering how good Fulham were on the road up to you know up to a point and then how good we've been at home recently. Do you think that's a massive, massive win to, to to bring people back at home? Bear in mind that I think we've played, especially against you know teams that come out and attack us, sometimes better at home this year, better away this season still. 
in, in it's just been a, a bit of a different atmosphere at home. I'd like to think that let's say the away legs draw in as and we take them to the cottage under the floodlights. It just seems something a bit magical about the cottage this season, especially at night as well. We just do seem to turn in performances. I I do think that the second leg at home is quite important uh, for Fulham this season. But then last year, we were saying, oh, actually, maybe it'd be good for Fulham to have the second leg away because we were just so unstoppable away from home. We seem to play this, we seem to have this freer style when we were away from Craven Cottage and... Look, look how that worked out. At the end of the day, the, the playoffs are a lottery. I think that's what I learned from last season. You can spend a lot of time analysing who you're going to be playing and where the second leg's going to be and is it better to play on a Saturday? Is it better to play on a Sunday? Um, is it better to wear, wear a white kit or a black kit? But at the end of the day, I just think it's such a lottery that trying to predict it too hard is a bit of a mug's game. Thank you, Sam. Frankie. <laughs> I mean, I can't add much That else. was a Farrell Monk special, that <laughs> wasn't it there? God, he's someone. He's taking up the slack of the Farrell, the Farrell lack of. Yeah, I'm not sure I can add much else. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's much else to say, Frankie. I, I do like the idea of the second leg being at the cottage under the floodlights. I think that it just creates a, an atmosphere that is unlike most grounds, and I think that would benefit us. Um, just hope. After last year, I've given up. I've, I used to go into it and go, oh, I'd love to play this team at home so we can go away. I wasn't expecting Reading to kick the crap out of us in the playoffs for 180 minutes. Um, so if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Cottage under the floodlights at home in the second leg. Ben? We're a big team uh, that win in big games and I think that we could we could win a playoff over two legs whether we're at home in the second or whether we are away. Although, that being said, I think I'm going to make it a full house and go for a cottage midweek at uh, Under the Lights. Is the only thing that, so fourth play fifth and third do play sixth, and that I think that if, I think the top five is going to stay the same, but potentially in a different order right now. Uh, and the, whoever is in that sixth place will not have had quite such a good season. It could be Bristol City, it could be Borough. I would take I take my chances more against them. So maybe third over fourth if there's. Do you think because I was thinking about this earlier about you know if we think that these top five places are going to stay the same and you know they might well do. So it might be you know these teams that we've played. I don't obviously like playing Derby, but we played well against Villa. You know this, this last week especially, but we also weren't that bad at Villa Park. Um, and you know we've shown that we can beat Cardiff already. So you know, think about that. The team that will be in sixth might have had a late, an absolutely late, majestic charge. And you know, I know it didn't quite work out for us last year, but I think it was more because we ran out of steam. But you know, if that that team are going in at sixth and they're they're going in hot, then that might be a you know a slipping stone in itself. Mm. I, I, I think that it's a theoretical. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it it's reverts back to my initial point that it's just the most. It's just the biggest lottery Luck of the in football. Okay, here's one. It says, um, if it's still of interest, this is from Chris Frank. It's very much of interest, Chris. Thank you for mentioning us. This is coming on Facebook. It says, with Cardiff now just six points off Wolves with the two still to play each other in Cardiff in April, are Wolves really that much of a shoe-in for the title? Will Cardiff think they can win it? And could Wolves get sucked back into the scrap for the automatics? I don't think so. I think Wolves will get automatically promoted. Um, it is an interesting question, though, because I didn't even considered that Wolves may tail off it depends on how they react um from from this fixture uh it does sound like and it did look like that their key players are getting tired um like yotta was on the bench yesterday leo bonatini hasn't scored for a long time yeah um so there is a chance of them running out of steam um i think we just got 
see how it goes week by week. Let's see how uh, Ruben Neves will be back. He's had a week off as well. Um, I'm just going to have to see where it goes. It's a very good question, though. I do still believe that Wolves will go up automatically, um, as as Frankie does as well. And I think if you look at the squad depth, although some of their key players are getting tired, you look at the depth they've got there, they starting someone like a Fobe on the bench this weekend, I think it highlights how much quality they have in, in the squad overall. Um, as Frankie said, I didn't even consider that they'd get drawn back into this automatic I did place. talk to a Wolves fan in the pub on Saturday about this. Uh, 90 points is generally the accepted amount for automatic promotion, especially this season. 90 points is 100% going to get them there. I think they're on 73. 70, yeah. So that's six more wins out of 12 games. I I just can't not see Wolves getting that, if I'm being perfectly honest. Out of, and I think they've got some kind of lower end of the table opposition still to play. The, the only thing that points against them is that their, their 2018 so far hasn't, hasn't been as strong as their 2017 was. Mm. I think they, uh, they drew with Sunderland, did they? Yeah, they did, didn't they? Um, and they've had a couple of uh, away losses and then obviously they lost to us and a couple of shoddy draws in there as well. So they are slowing down slightly, but mm. I think that's what happens when you get to the top of the table and you have really no one around you and you get slightly complacent. I think now that they've realised how close this gap is to Cardiff, they may step it up again. Yeah, I think I think next game you might see a uh, very emphatic Wolves come out of the blocks. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree. I think it's it's interesting to see that they thought they were untouchable. I, I think even your point about Benekafobe, Rafa Mir's still there, isn't yeah. he? Hasn't really played very much at all. Hasn't really been given the minutes, and he's a top quality striker, and he showed that in La Liga. And you know, I thought they were buying him for next year, basically. And, and just, just to see that he hasn't got many minutes is a bit kind of bizarre. But I think that there's enough quality there to see Wolves over the line. There's I a quite co- enjoyed their uh, mind the gap Aston Villa chance outside the Temperance. That was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know what? That gap's getting smaller. There's a, that's the thing. There's, there's one thing singing in the gap chance, another thing watching your gap diminish and diminish and diminish. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be that confident if I was a Wolves fan. But anyway... Um, Sam Lockhart says what's the best pub for away fans in Derby I'm going to direct you uh, to my, my friend Sam to, um, to, to Fulhamish's Away Day Planner which you can find on our website which is written by our very own Away Day specialist Don Betts um, and the answers are on there he says if I can remember correctly there's a pub called the Navigation Inn which is uh, in there does anyone else have any Derby knowledge download the Weatherspoons app and go on the map find the closest one that's usually what you'll find most people, isn't it? Yeah. Frankie, nothing. Ben, I, nothing. I have nothing to add on Derby. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know very much about Derby either. It's um, I don't know. It's just near Nottingham, isn't it? Well, yeah, that is for one. You've now, you've now. That's that. that's basically the only fact I can give you about Derby. Um, <laughs> Any more facts? No, that's it. I'm out of facts now. <laughs> this is from Ollie Johnson. He says, um, "Why haven't we seen anything about Cabano? Basically, well, he can be very influential when he plays. So why isn't he being used?" I'm gonna start with you, Ben, this time. Well, for me, um, based on my notes from the Wolves game and then just my general perception of him versus the two other wingers, which is Aite and Ojo, Aite has done a fantastic job going forwards and defensively this week against a team that utilises full-backs and wingers in the same um, sort of like tactical formation. And we needed that hard work and, and the pace of Aite to sort of negate that. I think that Ojo gives us something we've, we've lacked since the departure of Aluko in someone that can take the ball away from danger and run at people directly um, whereas Cabano at times seems to make some 
quite poor decisions and seems to um, at times fade in and out of games and doesn't start them particularly well. Also doesn't offer the defensive work rate of someone like an Aite and doesn't have the direct running of uh, Ojo, but does offer a goal threat that both of them seemingly don't have too much this year. I couldn't quite put my finger on what type of player Niskins Cabano has, is. So you look at um, Shea Ojo, who's direct runner. Uh, you've got Floyd Ayute, who'll just run up and down the wing. He'll do the defensive work. I don't quite know what Cabano specialises in. He's not going to take you on particularly. He's not got a great delivery. Um, he's not that creative, but he does scuff the ball into the net with expertise <laughs> and he can make a difference when he comes off the bench um i think he's just a, a super sub that's lost his way if the team doesn't need him or, or the opposition requires a different type of player then he's not going to find his way in so this one's from lawrence peterman it's a good question it's an old question it says how does the current midfield three compare with tagana's championship winning team Kearney, K-Mac and Steph Joe, or John Collins, Lee Clark and Sean Davis? Tough one to call. God. It's a great question. There's an absolutely fantastic question, this. This is the kind of question that Farrell would love. Yeah, Farrell isn't here. (laughs) Being his element. I mean, I'd say there's a lot more skill in our current front three, but that midfield three from the championship winning season was so industrious, up and down the pitch, running all day long. It's two different kind of styles, isn't it, really? opposing each other and just which one comes out on top of against each other clearly two different eras of football where two types well two very different types of football are required to win a a championship I'm going to go for the present one because I can't give any praise to someone with the surname Collins so there we go John Collins was a lovely player Um, you know aside from the the, the familial connections um, I'm actually going to go with the 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 old three. I'm going to go with the old guard here. I think that the kind of like Lee Clark and John Collins both came in off, you know, very, very like good, well, obviously Lee Clark with a, a good Premier League career and also John Collins off a, a very impressive international career and, and especially with us in a Celtic team that were actually a, a European force at that time. Um, and, and Sean Davis, well, we know what Sean Davis was capable of and what, and what he did on his day throughout for Fulham in his whole career. I'd say the old three, but you're you're right in that there wasn't as much guile and and skill but I think that as a three they just were they complemented each other massively and it really did work for Tagana's side at that time so I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up that's the end of the post bag for the for the uh, for the afternoon there's been a lot we've got through a lot there I'm, I'm pleased with it excellent work well, thank you to everyone for your questions as ever well that is it for Fulhamish this week so as I mentioned we're going to be back uh, on Thursday with Fulhamish Extra looking back at the FA Cup uh, FA Youth Cup I should say quarter final uh, Fulham versus Chelsea at the Cottage uh, we're going to be um, speaking to Dan Crawford um, who's going to be at the game uh, but with his thoughts on that we're going to be chatting to Jack and Loz and a full derby preview as well and um, Jack we just need to name today's podcast I'm actually going to throw the baton way of Ben Jarman who came up with the uh, the name of today's podcast with a, a phenomenal tweet on the weekend okay Ben to ream the impossible ream very nice work you're going for it I thought my D ream might get a, might yeah it get was it was it was a notable contender but the um, the you know the, the, the stone had been set high another Andy Williams classic yeah no I mean a lovely song a lovely the Honda advert ages ago oh yeah they also it was perfectly used in a tribute that West Brom put out to Cyril Regis quite recently and it was um, really really lovely so if you haven't seen that probably worth checking that out right uh, to Jack Collins thank you very much thank you Sammy to Ben Jarman thank you Sam and on his debut an exceptional debut from Frankie Taylor 
Thank you. It's oh, been a pleasure, guys. It's been a pleasure. I don't know who ever got a round of applause for. <laughs> Lovely debut. 9.3 if you were on the Fulhamish website. Yeah, just, just, above, just above Tim Ream. If you uh, haven't um, gone on our website to, to put your player ratings in, that we'll be back after Derby. Definitely get involved. It's, um, it's a really nice little little system setup we've got going on there. It is indeed. Right, we will see you at Fulhamish Extra on Thursday. Have a good week. See you later. Doodles. Doodles.